0: What's up everybody? Glad you joined me today. Let's jump right in. Matthew sixteen twenty-seven. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with, the, with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. The wicked who have slaughtered and tormented his people will get what is coming to them. Also, not only will we be with him, with Jesus, but his angels will accompany him as well. Man, what an entourage, what an entrance. You know, John says the heavens open up so that everyone on earth can see into heaven. Like uh, the curtain on a stage that opens at the beginning of an act. Now, look at what happens next. Matthew 24, 29 through 30 tells us immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven uh, the sign of the son of man, which we know is Jesus. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they'll mourn because they know judgment is coming and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory the imagery here is breathtaking if you can picture it think about being at a play and the and the theater goes dark the curtains open and the only light is a spotlight on the main character you know beginning that scene the whole universe scripture says will go dark the heavens open up and in and all anyone can see is Jesus in the light of his glory. The spotlight is on him where it where it has always belonged. But this time the world will have no choice but to see Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. Check out Zechariah 14, 6 through 7. It says, as he confirms, you know, um, you know, what should I say in Zechariah chapter 14, 6-7, he confirms the from the Old Testament exactly what Jesus describes in Matthew. Zechariah says, in that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening there will be light. Zechariah says it will be a unique day only known only to the Lord, and we know based on scripture that the that the Father is the only one who knows the day or even the hour that Jesus will return. Jesus will be the light that all the world will see. Talk about an entrance, but after that grand entrance, the light will return, of course, um, to normal, so to speak. But anyway, as we move on, remember we are at a point where Israel and the Jews that remain, not the remnant of Petra, the ones that did not take the mark and held to the law. Those Jews have now come to faith in Jesus. Uh, God hears their cries and poured out a spirit of grace and supplication on them, as we talked about before. And the Spirit led them to faith in Christ as he has done for all who have been saved. This fulfilled the covenant that was made with Israel long ago. Jesus has removed the godlessness of Jacob, or Israel, and has taken away their sins. Romans eleven twenty six through eleven twenty six through twenty seven tells us that Paul was quoting, by the way, um, or referencing Isaiah fifty nine, which describes the second coming of Jesus in response to the to Israel coming to faith. You know, you can take a look at that at Isaiah in Isaiah fifty nine nineteen through chapter sixty verse two. It is a beautiful passage about you know Israel coming to faith and Jesus coming to their rescue. Okay, let's pick up with the two battle fronts that are going on when Jesus returns. The first is the battle at Petra, where a portion of the armies of the Antichrist are closing in on the remnant of Jews that are hiding out there. You know, the, these Jews uh, are the ones that have been protected, you know, at Petra, you know, by God for the duration of the second half of the tribulation period. Now, understand this is this area known as Batzra. Or you might know it as Petra in the Greek is located in a very strategic place, which is surrounded by rocky, you know, hills or mountains, and it's almost like naturally fortified, so making it a heavily fortified uh, or hard to reach area with only one small entrance point. Essentially, Jesus placed them there like sheep in a corral um like the ark, Noah went in and God sealed it, and when the flood was over, God opened it. That is what happens at Petra, as you will see. The other battle is happening at Jerusalem as we have discussed before. Now you are probably used to to most people saying that, you know, Jesus will descend onto the Mount of Olives when he returns and it will split, etc, etc. Leading you to believe that the second coming of Christ begins with him landing on the Mount of Olives, but that is not entirely accurate. He will go to the Mount of Olives, but that is not where he first goes. First, Jesus descends and goes to Petra to rescue the remnant that is under attack. Isaiah 34, 2-6 through six says, For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction has given them over for slaughter. Their, their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains, hint, the, their mount, the mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, Edom being where Petra is at. Upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated or satisfied with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, which of course is Petra, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Here, Isaiah describes the return, saying it descends, saying that it, when it talks about it descends, the judgment, okay, uh, Jesus descends for judgment upon Edom, okay, which is where Petra is at. He also says there will be a sacrifice in Basra or Petra, and a great slaughter in Edom, which is the area that encompasses Petra. It also says that the Lord is enraged at all the nations, depicting the end of the tribulation, and further states that the mountains, which are some of the only ones rem- that remain, because they are they are kept there to protect the remnant, will. F- but those mountains will flow with with their blood, the blood of the armies that are there, which is consistent with what Isaiah writes in chapter sixty three regarding Jesus's return at Basra to save the remnant. Verse six uh, in Isaiah sixty three, verse six states. I trampled down, this is Jesus, I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their blood on the earth. Now, speaking of Jesus appearing at Basra or Petra first, appearing there first, look at what Isaiah writes at the beginning of chapter 63, verse one. It says, who, Isaiah says this, he says, who is this who comes from Edom in crimson uh garments from basra he who is splendid in his apparel marching in the greatness of his strength sounds just like what uh john describes uh in chapter 19 of revelation as far as the description of christ before you know as he uh comes to earth again it is you know and, and it goes on it says it is i speaking in righteousness mighty to save okay That last part um, is, is Jesus speaking as Isaiah asks him the question, who is this? And he describes him. And Jesus responds and says, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. So first of all, Isaiah sees this vision as he stands on the walls of Jerusalem. So we know that Jesus is coming from Edom or from the area where Petra is at. Secondly, Jesus is described wearing a crimson garment or robe, just like John describes Jesus upon his return. And Isaiah confirms it is Jesus when he says, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And we know that that phrase, mighty to save, that only refers to Jesus. Isaiah even asks him, why is his garments red like someone who treads the winepress? Jesus answers him, telling him that he alone has trodden the winepress Of God's wrath and trampled the enemies, splattering their blood on his garments and staining all his apparel. How does Jesus destroy them? By the sword of his word, he speaks it and it happens. So Jesus shows up at Petra and destroys all who have come who have come to attack the remnant. And now Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the Breaker, will lead them out of Petra and will go before them as they head to Mount Zion, uh, as they head. To, um, to the Mount of Olives, should I say. So Micah uh, 2, 12 through 13 says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach, okay? Some translations call him the breaker, but it says, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So that small gap that gave entry into Petra was closed up. And now Jesus breaks through it and opens it up, setting them free. And as he opens up that that gateway, basically, that breach, um, he leads the remnant like a flock of sheep out of Petra, and they follow him. And as their king, he goes before them and leads the way. And Jesus says that no one came to help the remnant, so he saved them by his own hand. Now, onto the battle at Jerusalem. It is unclear if Jesus leads the remnant at a normal pace, you know, marching along, or if he um, moves everyone supernaturally towards Jerusalem at you know a supernatural kind of uh pace so to speak but now we know that accompanying jesus to jerusalem will be not only the church and his angels but also now the remnant so let's take a look at zechariah 14 again last time we talked about the beginning of chapter 14 and how the antichrist armies make it into the city and plunder it cutting off half the city you know killing you know people people are being exiled you know, and assaulting women, et cetera. And how God doesn't allow the enemy though to take the whole city, half the city um, is not cut off. So now we pick up with Zechariah 14, three through five, where it says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will split into two from east to west um forming a, a valley a great valley with half of the mountain moving to the north and half moving to the south, you will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, King of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So we know that we are there on the Mount of Olives. And so at this point uh as you can see it doesn't say though that he descends and lands on the mount of olives it says that he stands on the mount of olives which is east of Jerusalem Jesus arrives on the mount of olives coming from Edom from Petra after saving the remnant you know and so Jesus arrives on the mount of olives with his entourage of course where you know he can see Jerusalem and the battle that is taking place the siege that is taking place remember we learned that the enemy laid siege to the city for two days but on the third day Jesus comes to rescue them as he stands on the Mount of Olives and sees what is taking place he causes the mount to split into two split in half and Half moves to the north and half moves to the south, creating a valley, offering safe passage for all those in Jerusalem. Those being attacked can now safely escape uh, the Antichrist and his armies and go east, away from Jerusalem. Jesus uses the land to provide cover for his people to escape. It's, it's mind-boggling to me. It's so awesome. Now that Jesus has brought his people safely out of Jerusalem, he will go Go forth into Jerusalem and confront the enemy face to face. Check out Habakkuk three thirteen through thir- three through thirteen. You know it describes events leading to the return of Christ as well as what happens when he does return. Habakkuk three twelve through fourteen says, "You marched through the through the earth in fury. You thresh, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out." For the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, of course, talking about the Antichrist, and it says you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. When Jesus confronts the Antichrist and his armies, it is over in an instant, at the as the sword of his word splits the Antichrist open from thigh to neck, and his armies are pierced in the head with their own arrows. You know, Second Thessalonians two eight also confirms that Jesus will slay the Antichrist with the sword of that comes out of his mouth, the sword of his word. Once the Antichrist and his armies are killed or slain, presumably, you know, the false prophet will suffer the same fate as he's part of that head. Uh, So Habakkuk and Paul both confirm that Jesus will slay them with the sword of his word or the sword that comes out of his mouth, along with what John writes in Revelation 19.21. However, in verse twenty, John John only, and talking about verse twenty in Revelation uh, chapter nineteen, John only mentions that the beast gathers his armies against Jesus, and John writes that the beast or the Antichrist and the and the false prophet are seized and thrown into the lake of fire, or for you know for all of eternity. So, which is where all unbelievers will go after the throne judgment at the very very end. All unbelievers are in Sheol or in that place of torment. Some call it hell. But they will be resurrected and given a new body and, and will face judgment known as the great white throne judgment, where all believer unbelievers, should I say, all unbelievers are judged and then sentenced to eternal damnation in the lake of fire, where the Antichrist and false prophet are already at. So the Antichrist and false prophet were human beings that were controlled by Satan. That's important to understand, they were human controlled by Satan, the antichrist is possessed and empowered by Satan, and the false prophet is most likely also possessed by some other powerful demon. Either way they are slain, and that means that the spirit possessing them along with their own spirit is released from the body, which is happens upon death, right? So when well when you die, you know, as an unbeliever, where do you go? You go to to hell, you go to Sheol or that place of torment. And Isaiah writes that when when they do, they will not be united with those who fo- who followed them on the earth. You know, all the other kings and the armies and all the people that followed them, you know, they will not be, and, you know, the people that took the mark and all that stuff, they will not be united with them because they will receive a very special treat. They are brought back out of Sheol, you know, almost as soon as they descend into to Sheol or hell. You know, uh, upon their death, they are brought right back and given a new body um, at that moment where they are seized and thrown into the lake of fire, being the first of the unbelieving or the wicked to be sentenced there. The rest will join them after the great judgment. Regardless, though, the important part is that Jesus has destroyed the enemy And his armies and cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And the angel John sees summons the birds of the air like vultures to come and feed on the flesh of the dead. I guess they're like the God's cleanup crew or something. But we will get to Satan's punishment next time as we begin chapter 20. But before we get uh, too far in chapter 20, we will also cover a little known period uh in god's timeline known as the 75 day interval there uh so that's it guys there you have it we have made it through the battle of armageddon and the king has returned to rule over the earth he has restored his people punished the beast and the false prophet along with those who followed him and now it is time for his people to enter into a time of rest as we exit the tribulation period uh, a few groups remain, the remnant of Jews protected at Petra, the Jews that came to faith during the battle of Armageddon that we just talked about, the Gentiles that became believers you know, back prior to the mark being given. Um, and believe it or not, there are some Gentiles that made it through the tribulation that never came to faith and never took the mark of the beast. We will discuss them more, though, in the future episodes regarding the millennial kingdom. Okay, guys, that is it. Join me next time as we move into chapter 20 and discuss the 75-day interval. You know, I'm so excited to share everything that comes in these last few chapters. Such hope and wonder and excitement lies ahead. Don't miss it. See you next time. God, thank you for just being you. The, The list is truly endless. God, there is so much to look forward to and I can't wait to enter your millennial kingdom one day. It is going to be awesome but I know we still have work to do here. So use me, Jesus, to accomplish whatever purpose you have for me. Call your people out of the shadows. Let the church rise up and declare your truth. We carry the truth of the gospel everywhere we go. Let us be a light that points others to you. Even when we stumble, let it be with humility and grace so that others may see your power made perfect in our weakness. I pray over all that have heavy that are heavy burdened, I pray that you would give them rest, help them to lay it at your feet, let your shalom cover your people so that we may have peace in, even in uncertain times, but through it all, let us praise you because you are always faithful. Amen.